Welcome, Uridal University subscribers and members. We are continuing our conversation from last week, talking about is the dollar going to be dethroned? And if it's going to be dethroned, how would that actually happen? I think that's the question that we all need to answer first, not, hey, do we want to replace the dollar? Because Lord knows, lots of people would like to do so. That's not really the issue because you think even go back further, people have been trying, the hatred for the dollar is nothing new. Let's put it that way. Something else is new and something else is pushing this de-dollarization trend. But before we can even consider any of that, we have to consider, can it actually happen? And if it can happen, how close are we to something like it happening? Joining me today, special guest, my very first on the Eurodollar University new subscription benefit we're calling Conversations. Who better to talk about de-dollarization with than Mr. Milkshake himself, Brent Johnson. Brent, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. I'm always happy. I've learned so much from you that I, whenever I get the chance, I'm happy to sit here and talk to you. Well, let's sit here and talk about the dollar because it's one of those things that I think it's unlike a lot of the euro dollar topics that might come up. The dollar itself and its status as reserve currency, it, it's, it's, it's intuitively important. You don't need to explain it. Okay. The dollar reserve currency, that's whether your your skill level, whatever your sophistication is, as soon as that comes up, you understand, okay, this is something I need to talk about. And it's understandable why more, maybe more recently or, or uh, more than any time in the recent past, it has become a topic of mainstream conversation where this used to be talked about in, you know, feverish corners of financial Twitter. Nowadays, nowadays you've got mainstream media reporting on de-dollarization. So, Brent, where do you where do you think we should start with that? <laughs> well, you can't get away from it, right? And, and the funny thing is, is it's still pretty prevalent right now, but it's been dialed down by like 50% since like April or May when that was all you heard everywhere all the time. You know, especially leading up to the BRICS meeting in August where that was supposedly going to be the new rollout of the new gold-backed BRICS currency, the, you know, the dollar killer. And, you know, the fact that that came and went kind of took a little bit of volume off of it, but it's still there. And I think part of the reason is to a certain extent, the, the saying that hope springs eternal. Uh, I think there is a lot of hatred for the dollar. I think to a certain extent, there's a lot of hatred for US foreign policy. I think there's some self-hatred or self-loathing uh, that goes along with the new woke America who realizes that perhaps we're not the bright shining city on a hill uh, uh, that, that, that we thought it was when we were growing up. And all of that kind of put together is kind of this desire for something new, better, more moral, more all in, I don't know how you want to say it, but I think it's all of that. And there's this desire for this new, better system. And I understand it. I, I, I actually, totally understand it. And, and in many ways, I would prefer that the system was different than it is. But over the last, I don't know, let's just call it 15 years, um, there's probably different ways we could divide it up. I have kind of been on this journey where I was on the other side and through just painless or painful, I should say not painless, painful digging and digging and trying to figure this all out, I came to kind of the painful realization that it is just much harder to de-dollarize than it is. It, it's much harder to actually do it than it is to talk about it. 
And I don't know, I never say anything's impossible, but it's pretty darn close. And I've come to the conclusion that it's impossible to have de-dollarization without massive volatility that goes along with it. And I think if we get to a place where de-dollarization actually takes place, not just the talking of it, I think that the volatility would be so great that the dollar would actually rise during the de-dollarization. And that's kind of where I got to my whole, you know, thesis regarding the dollar was that I just don't think there's a way through the storm without the dollar going higher. And if the dollar doesn't go higher, then there isn't a crisis and the system just perpetuates itself. So I don't know if that's a good way to set it up or not, but that's the conclusions I came to. And listen, I've like you, and you've probably been thinking about it longer than me, like literally every day for the last 15 years, I've thought of this stuff, right? This isn't something I just sat down a couple hours and read a book and decided, okay, like this is literally like, you mean every like everybody day for, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. <laughs> I, read, yeah, exactly. I heard a podcast yeah, and now I'm yeah. a dollar expert. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, I'm open to some new solution or some new system, but you know, you can't just write a paragraph about it and think just because somebody wants it to happen that it's going to happen. And that, that that's kind of where I'm at with it. I think that's a great place to start because I think what we have to do here is separate the talk about de-dollarization from the reality of potential de-dollarization because those are two very, very different things. And you know as, as well as I do, Maybe over the last five, six years or, or so, the talk of de-dollarization has gone like this. And I actually think the temperature of real de-dollarization has come way down. There was, I believe, you know, 2011, 2012, as China was really getting into this transformation mode, there was more, maybe more serious uh, taking a look at de-dollarization because you look at the Chinese, for example, because they're the one that always comes up, right? Everybody says China's going to eat our lunch and take over the reserve currency and use that to take over the world. And I think for a little while there, the Chinese said, let's give it a shot. Now, they opened up Hong Kong. They started an offshore yuan marketplace. But that didn't go very far and it didn't go very long. And by 2017, 2018, the Chinese were shutting everything down. At the same time, the talk of de-dollarization, remember the petro yuan? Oh my God, that was so supposed to be the big thing. The talk of de-dollarization went way up when I think the appetite went way down. I, I kind of hinted at this a few minutes ago, but when I first started looking at this stuff, you know, kind of 2006 to 2007 time frame, uh, I knew there was a big mess. And so I was kind of prepared for, you know, the 2008 global financial crisis. Now, I was not smart enough to figure out that that meant all the banks were going to fail. I just knew that there was a big mess and we were going to have some kind of a crisis. And that allowed me to kind of get through the crisis, but I didn't really necessarily understand it. But then on the other side of that crisis, then I was like, you know what, I really need to figure this out. I, I want to actually understand it. And when I first started looking into it, I was like, well, they just need to get away from the dollar. They need to stop, you know, the, 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 the Fed's going to, you know, to get out of this global financial crisis, they're going to print, 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 and that's going to make the dollar go down. And, you know, the, the world's going to get sick of it and they're going to implement this other system. And I probably believed that for two or three years. And then when it didn't happen, I was like, well, why isn't it happening? This should be happening, right? And... I would go talk to people and they said, oh, it's going to happen. You know, the other people that were in the de-dollarization camp or in the gold camp or in the alternative system camp, 
oh, it will happen, it will happen. You know, the, the U.S. can't keep doing this forever. They can't get away with this forever. But they would never really answer the question of why not. They would just say it can't go on. And so I got pretty frustrated with that. And that's when I really started digging in. And at the time, I think it was it was 2014, because I remember talking to Raul, and Raul was a big gold bug or you know a big believer in gold like I was. But he also said the dollar was going to get a lot stronger. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was thinking to myself, how can this guy who's so smart think the dollar is going to go higher? And then lo and behold, the second half of 2014, the dollar made a massive move higher. And that's when I sat back and I was like, well, I'm clearly missing something, right? I, you know, and, and then part of it was that I kind of, I think a little bit like what I was talking about before, I kind of wanted to see it happen, right? I was very, I was very upset with what transpired in 2008. I didn't think it was right. I didn't think it was fair. And when I took a step back, I realized I was projecting my own desires onto that's a it. market. That's it right there. And I think yeah. when we're talking about separating the talk about de-dollarization from when yeah. it can actually happen, that's it right there. It's yeah. the emotion. You know, it's yes. the Tea Party yes. ethos. It's the how dare they bail out these big banks? We need to put a stop to how dare they, you know, how dare they, the government push these fiscal deficits on us. And the only way to stop these people is the only way to get them to learn is if the dollar crashes. And then we can sit in the ashes and say, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. I told you that you were going to blow up the system. And I think that's where a lot of this comes from, this dollar doom theory starts from a righteous place. It starts from that place that, it damn it, you're right. It you know, you are is. right. The government did go crazy and it, it didn't fix anything either. So we did all of this for <laughs> nothing. It's just that they're channeling all of that energy and, and that indignation in the wrong direction. They've been saying, you know, this has to blow up because this is wrong. And so they keep waiting for it to blow up and they keep, and I think that's where the, the talk comes they keep hyping every little tiny thing along the way as if this is the spark that's going to light the fuse and blow up the dollar. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And what really kind of made me step back and kind of revalue everything was, was a couple of things. One is that I had just been wrong and I don't like being wrong. And when I'm wrong, when I'm wrong I like to try to figure out why I'm wrong. I don't just want to think, okay, it's going to be different this time. Um, it happens a lot. And listen, and, and I'm guilty of it. I'm and I'm I'm guilty of it. I, I've I've tried I, you know I've tried over the years to get better at it, but I'm sure I still fail at it from time to time. But there but I got to the point where nobody could answer my question. I was tired of being wrong, and I re, and you know you, there's that saying that time time heals all wounds. You know so we're now four or five years on from 2008. You know five years on and uh, from from kind of the bottom in 2009 and. I wasn't quite as raw about it and I wasn't quite as emotional about it. And, and I, and I kind of stepped back and I realized that I was not only putting my personal emotions on how I saw the world, but I was putting my client's money on the line based on the way I wanted the world to be and not the way the world actually was. And that is quite honestly, in my opinion, a breach of fiduciary duty, you know, my clients did not hire me to go change the world. Now, if you if you want to go change the world, if you want to start a company or start a new monetary system or protest, you know, start a protest and you know, write papers and you know, introduce new systems that you think will improve the world, I think that's a very valid existence. I, I think that's a worthy cause, and I commend you for doing it. But that's not what I do. I manage money for other people. 
And not everybody shares my same view of the world. And not everybody that I manage money for wants the system to change. Some of them do, some of them don't. But the, but the bottom line is they didn't hire me to be a social justice warrior. They hired me to figure out what the hell's going on in the world and get them through it and through it. Because not most just of a my social justice you know, warrior, they didn't hire yeah. you to be a bond vigilante, right? That's right. The no, exactly. Exactly. And when I realized that that's what I had been doing, I kind of felt bad about it, to be honest. You know, I felt, and here's the, this, this really has kind of been in a, you know, this is how, the reason I know that emotion is a big part of the de-dollarization thing is because I went through a big roller coaster of emotions over the last 15 years. I didn't realize the way the system worked and the bad parts of the system until 2008 and the results of 2008. And I'm, I was kind of ashamed that it took money for me to realize it, right? I would have, I would have liked to just my own intelligence to have recognized it, or you know, just my own view of the world to have recognized it. It, it when I realized when when the money came into it, and the money's what made me realize it, I, I felt kind of bad about that. And then five years later, when I realized I I had taken that feeling bad about it and tried to force my emotions on my clients' portfolios, I felt bad about that too. And so then I, that that. It was all, this was all kind of happening at the same time. And that's probably why in about 2015, 2016 is when I really started digging in deep, deep, deep. You know, it, I, I mentioned 2014, that's when it kind of kicked off. And then I really got into it in 2015 or 16. And that's when I realized, holy cow, as, as someone who's managing money for other people, you really have to kind of be a mercenary. You really kind of have to just strip your emotions out of it. Look at the system, right? Figure out how it works. And forget whether or not you want something to happen. Figure out what's going to actually happen or what is most likely to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, and I'll tell you, when, when, I finally, when I finally made that mental change in my, in my brain, <laughs> every, everything changed. Everything became much more clear. Um, it doesn't mean I have perfect clarity. It doesn't mean I get everything right. But the emotion was gone. The, there was a lot more clarity. I understood what was happening. I understood why it was happening. Um, and it's just allowed me to kind of have a framework by which to navigate this craziness because it is crazy. I mean, we, we have to, I, I, th I don't think anybody, the people who understand the system the best know how crazy it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, I think that's, a, you know, going back to what we're saying about the talk of de-dollarization, part of this is economics, mainstream economics, because it channels everybody in the wrong direction, Right. So you're sitting here trying to figure out what's happening and economics says, points you right at the Federal Reserve and says the Federal Reserve is this all powerful God. And so you put all of these pieces in the Federal Reserve bucket. You don't know what's happening. You don't really have any clarity about why things are happening or why they didn't happen the way you thought they would. And you just get angrier and angrier because the mainstream doesn't have any answers for you anyway. And if anything, the mainstream is set up for you to not get any answers. That's really what QE was for. QE was to put everybody back to sleep. Stop asking questions about the monetary system. Stop asking, asking questions about the, the, the results of this, this 2008 crisis. Just believe the Fed's got it covered. And it, it, I think that more than anything really turbocharged people's anger, which led to this, this, this unproductive outbreak and this unproductive expression. And let's, I hate the dollar, 
You know, I, I really hate that I don't understand. It's exactly what you're saying. I hate that I don't understand and I need an outlet for that frustration. So goddamn, I hate the dollar. Yeah. Well, now the other part of it for me, and I, I don't know when I actually figured this out. It was probably listening to you, to be honest, or it definitely helped was once I, again, you know, at some point in this journey, everybody comes across the Euro dollar, right? And, you know, I probably heard the term before, but I probably never really knew what it meant or what it really was. Uh, but as part of this journey, you know, I kind of started digging into it. And even then I was like, well, yeah, okay. So the rest of the world owes all this dollar debt. Well, they'll just default on it. And then the U.S. will be screwed. And it wasn't until like, I don't know, probably a year after that, after I even discovered the euro dollar market that I realized that they didn't owe that money to the United States and that they owed it to each other. And when that happened, when I, when I made that realization, that was like another veil got torn off my eyes. Right. And I could see even more clearly. And I, I remember, I remember kind of sitting back saying, Holy cow, <laughs> this is a, you know, this, this is why the U S has been able to kind of get away with whatever the monetary policy they want, because their monetary policies for the whole world. It's not just for the United States. This is probably an area where you and I probably disagree a little bit, um, but I think it does help explain why, when people can't figure out why the dollar hasn't crashed yet, in my opinion, it's because of the Euro dollar market. They don't understand the demand for dollars in the Euro dollar market. And, um, but once I figured that out, that, that really changed everything for me. Um, yeah, there was a, you know, the Chinese example always comes up all over, all, you know, all the time. And there was a, a period back then too, where everybody said the Chinese were going to destroy the United States when they sell all their treasuries. And once you, you, you understand exactly what you're saying, you make that aha moment in your mind, you make that intuitive leap. You're like, no, wait a minute. The Chinese are going to be worse for it. If they start selling their treasuries, they're in trouble, not the United States. It's, it's a breakdown in the monetary system of which they're the biggest customer. They're the one that's most reliant on this monetary system, not the other way around. I think that's another part that, that gets us back into this emotional response to the way everything is because everything is – it's almost like everything is backwards from the way you think it is, which just makes you more frustrated every time you think, oh – this is going to happen, and then the opposite happens, and it just makes you angrier and angrier. And again, it gets back to the original statement here. We understand why people feel this way. It's just that, that most people aren't able to do what you did, which is entirely commendable. I mean, it's hard to say, I got to change the way I'm thinking. It's much easier to double down every single time and just get angrier and angrier and follow that emotional trail to... Now you're a decade and a half later and you're still talking about, oh, the dollar is going to be destroyed. And, and now I'm going to hype up this stupid BRICS uh, summit this year, which was complete crap from the very beginning. And you can see it was, but it, that's, it's the emotional. And I think you're, you know, I had this, a similar journey as you, as you did, Brent, about uh, managing money. It was like, can I continue to manage money and still be a euro dollar scholar and study um, at the same time, because those two paths lead you in different directions. Trying to manage money for people under this euro dollar breakdown era is completely impossible. And it's it's impossible to be dispassionate. And you really do have to make some hard choices about it. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you one of the other things that helped me. 
And that is a previous job that I had. So when I first got out of business school, I, I worked for Philip Morris in New York City. I worked in their headquarters and I was an auditor. So I was a financial auditor who went through all the different business operations because a lot of people know Philip Morris is, uh, they own Marlboro cigarettes, but they also owned at the time General Foods, they owned Kraft Foods, they owned Miller Beer, they owned a coffee company in Germany. And so, you know, you it was great learning spirits because you would go through and you would audit the operations of these different areas of the company. I hated the job. I absolutely hated it. But I told myself, I'm going to do it for two years and I'm going to learn as much as I can. And at the, when, when my two years was done, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to Wall Street. But, and I, and I didn't think I would ever use what I learned again, but I was completely wrong. And this is why. When you're auditing, so I'll give you an example. We did an audit of a coffee plant or a coffee business in Germany. So I was in Germany for like six weeks and we went through all the operations of the, of the, of the company and they, we, we pulled, we sampled, tested a bunch of transactions that this coffee company did to make sure that they were following the rules they were supposed to follow. And so I'm going to try, I'll make this quick, but, but this is how, why it's important. When a coffee company in Germany buys coffee, they don't just pick up the phone and call Columbia. And two days later, there's a bunch of coffee on their doorstep. Well, they do do that, but there's probably 20 steps in between the phone call and the coffee showing up on their steps. So first of all, they have to figure out, okay, where are we going to buy the coffee? Then, well, what are the prices? Well, what are the best prices? You have to get like four or five quotes, so that, and then you have to prove that you get the best deal. And then when you get the best deal, then you have to figure out, okay, what's the truck that's going to go pick up the coffee from the farm and take it to the ship? Okay, then once it gets to the ship, what ship are you going to put it on? Okay, well, there's three different ships. One of them takes this long. One, okay, so then it gets on the ship, and then it goes to Hanover. In okay, and then it gets on another truck. So, But the point is, is there's all these steps along the way from the time they buy the coffee bean to the time it's actually in a package that you buy it on the store, there's probably, I don't know, 50 to 100 steps. And we had to go through this transaction step by step by step by step. So when I started applying that step by step by step thing to how they would change the monetary system, I, it, is, it would be so hard to change. Think of all the invoices that would have to get re-invoiced. Think of all the computer systems that would have to change to a new currency system. Think of all of the logistics that would go into um, now pricing something in, in a different currency. And then, you know, is that trucking company? Does that, okay, so does the trucking company want to receive rubles or yuan? You know, does the, does the farmer want to receive rubles or yuan? The point is, is there's so many steps along the way that it can break down. To re-denominate a monetary system, it's not that it can't happen. It's just really, really, really hard. And there's not a lot of incentive to do it from people in the business world. There's incentive for the politicians to do it, but the people who are running the business, I haven't seen one business person. I would, if somebody can find me an article or a headline from one large business person in the world who would prefer to stop doing business in dollars and would prefer to receive rupees, or rubles, or yuan, I would love to read that article. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm sure there's somebody out there somewhere. But by and large, every time you read these de-dollarization articles, it's written by a politician, or it's written by a monetary authority in some third world country who, who is dealing with dollar their own dollar problems, right? And so when you realize how entrenched the dollar is, and you realize all the steps it would take to fix it, 
it, you, you start to get a better appreciation for why it's still around. Yeah, the issue isn't politics, it's economics on both sides, right? right? The right. economics holding the dollar in place, the euro dollar system in place, are all in favor of the euro dollar and in favor of nothing else that can replace it. And the flip side, though, and we both agree on this, the economics of the euro dollar are not good. The euro dollar no, does need not. to be replaced. That's <laughs> the irony of all of this, is that the euro dollar does need to be replaced. You can see the rest of our conversation where we get into more detail about euro dollar dominance, why the dollar is maintaining itself, the dangers of the euro dollar being the reserve currency by default. And we even talk about at the end, some of the things that we think could happen as a result. How do we get out of this euro dollar predicament? Well, you can see the rest of our conversation. It's available for Eurodollar University members at the membership website. It's also available for our deep dive analysis subscribers. They can find it under the tab conversations. So for Eurodollar University members and DDA subscribers, check out the rest of my conversation with Brent, Don Brent Johnson on Eurodollar dominance.